Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, May 19th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, there are certain things that I personally think are extremely important that it seems like pretty much nobody else cares about. So naturally, I'm going to talk about two of those things on the show today. These are things that I write about over at shiftgold.com slash news pretty much on a monthly basis, and I can always count on those articles getting a minimal number of views compared to a lot of other topics. So what am I talking about? Well, consumer and household debt, along with the federal budget deficit and the national debt. Now, you might be wondering, why do I beat my head against the wall? Why do I keep writing articles about this month after month if, you know, only a few people are reading them and people aren't really interested? I mean, why keep harping on it, right? Well, because I think both of these things are going to have a significant impact on the trajectory of the economy moving forward. That means they're going to impact my standard of living and yours. So, I feel obligated to keep on writing about them, and in this case, talking about them. I mean, somebody has to, right? But before I dig into all of that, I do want to talk about the big sell-off in gold that we've seen. Um, If you're paying attention at all, I'm sure that you've noticed that the price of gold has plummeted over the last couple of weeks. In fact, gold has dropped by over $130 in the last two weeks. We've slid far below $2,000 an ounce, and yesterday we were testing the 1950 level. A lot of analysts think that if uh, that support collapses, we're going to see even another big leg down. Now, meanwhile, the dollar rose to a seven-week high on Wednesday, and it climbed again on Thursday. So we're seeing dollar strength, which, as it usually does, is um, weighing on gold, pulling it down. And if you're thinking that this looks a lot like how gold and the dollar moved at the height of the Federal Reserve's inflation fight, well, you're right. That's because the central bankers at the Fed have stepped up the hawkish rhetoric in the last couple of weeks, um, and that's increasing the expectation that interest rates are going to stay higher for longer. And there is a growing belief that the central bank can actually navigate a so-called soft landing because it is possible to spend some of the economic data, like retail sales, weekly unemployment claims, we can spend those in a positive way. One market strategist that I read summed it up this way, quote, the tough pill to swallow is that the U.S. economic data continues to come in line with expectations. It shows a greater outcome for a soft landing. At the same time, foreign economic data is coming out weaker than expected. That is why the dollar index is catching a bid right now. And of course, again, because the dollar is strengthening, that tends to be a negative on gold. Now, I certainly can see how people might see it this way, especially if they're prone to believe the mainstream spin. Now, as you know, I'm not. I'm a contrarian, and you're probably not either. That's why you're listening to this show. And, you know, I talked about this last week. I talked about the disconnect between the markets and the mainstream spin and what's actually happening in the economy. And I kind of alluded to the fact that talk is cheap, right? Here's the real question that we need to consider. How will the Fed respond when the bottom drops out of the economy? 
And I am certain the bottom will drop out of the economy, no matter how you spin the data today. Now, a lot of this sell-off in gold is being driven by Fed speak, or as I like to call it, open mouth operations. The Fed people open their mouths and the markets react. Over the last two weeks, several Federal Reserve officials have made comments emphasizing their resolve to carry through with the inflation fight and indicating that interest rates won't go down anytime soon. I'll give you a few examples. Chicago Fed President Austin Goolsby, who typically tends to lean toward dovishness. I'd say he's one of the uh, most dovish of the Fed presidents. He said it is far too premature to be talking about rate cuts. Atlanta Fed President Rafael Bostic was a lot more hawkish, saying that policymakers won't be thinking about rate cuts until well into 2024. And he also said he would be inclined to continue raising rates into a recession. Quote, what we've seen is that inflation has been persistently high, consumers have been really resilient in terms of their spending, and labor markets remain extremely tight. All of those suggest that there's still going to be upward pressure on prices. If there's going to be a bias to action, for me, it would be a bias to increase a little further as opposed to cut. Bostic also emphasized that getting inflation back to 2% is, quote, job number one, saying if there's going to be some cost to that, we've got to be willing to do that. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester also took an aggressive tone, saying rates are not yet at a point where the central bank could hold steady. Quote, I don't put it in terms of a pause. I put it in terms of a hold. Have we gotten to that rate yet? At this point, given the data we've gotten so far, I would say no. And then most recently, just yesterday, in fact, Dallas Fed President Lori Logan said she's concerned that much too high inflation is not cooling fast enough yet to allow the Fed to pause its interest rate hike campaign in June. So she's hinting at another 25 basis point rate hike next month. She said the data in coming weeks could yet show that it's appropriate to skip a meeting, meaning skip a rate hike. But as of today... We aren't there yet. And there were similar messages coming from other Fed officials over the last couple of weeks. In fact, it seems like they've all trotted out to really try to push this narrative that they are in it to win it when it comes to the inflation fight. And they're not about to cut rates. And in fact, they might even raise rates again. And of course, this all dovetails with the hawkish tone that Jerome Powell tried to set during the press conference after the May FOMC meeting a couple of weeks ago. You know, a lot of people thought the official FOMC statement hinted at a pause. Powell did his best to undercut that narrative, saying that, quote, a decision on a pause was not made today and stressing that rate cuts weren't in the cards. As we have seen over the last year plus, any indication that the Fed is going to keep hiking has boosted the dollar and weighed on gold. So as we've seen over the last year plus, any indication that the Fed will keep hiking rates has boosted the dollar and weighed on gold. So any kind of bad inflation news is bad news for gold because the Fed is going to keep fighting inflation, which of course is the exact opposite of what you would think. When you have a lot of price inflation, you actually want to hold gold because it protects the value of your wealth from declining as the value of the dollar declines. But no, we live in this weird upside-down world. Um, this has been the case 
over the last week as the open mouth operations from the Fed have actually boosted expectations that the Fed will raise rates in June. The odds have gone from 12% just a few days ago to 38% as of Thursday. So, Again, that's really what's driving this sell-off in gold. Everybody thinks, ooh, the Fed's going to keep hiking. We're going to get another rate hike in June. Uh, The economy's still booming along. Inflation is still hot. Blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the majority of economists polled by Reuters recently said they think the Fed will at least hold rates at the current level through the end of 2023. Get this, even if there is a recession. Now, again, I've said this already, talk is cheap. It's easy for Fed officials to say, we're committed to slaying inflation. We'll keep raising rates, even if the economy dips, when the economy appears to be on relatively solid footing. The real question is, what will the Federal Reserve actually do when the economy tanks, when they're faced with reality. You can speculate all day. Yeah, yeah, we're tough. We're, we've got this. We're all in it to win it with the inflation fight. But when that rubber actually meets the road, when they're faced with the real crisis, what are they going to do? History tells us they will not stick to their guns, and they're going to go right back to easy money policies to prop up the economy. They did it after the dot-com bubble popped. They did it in 2008. They did it in 2018 when the stock market tanked and the economy got just a little bit wobbly, just with modest tightening. And they did it in spades during the pandemic. You see, when there's a crisis, it's always, oh, we've got to do this emergency thing. And oh, my gosh. And and they, they ignore, you know, what is their typical mindset. It changes when they're faced with a real crisis. The disconnect seems to be that the Fed officials and these economists in general think that the looming uh, recession is going to be relatively mild. It's going to be short and shallow. In fact, after the May FOMC meeting, Jerome Powell still insisted that the Fed could get price inflation to the 2% target and bring the economy to a quote-unquote soft landing. And remember that analyst that I quoted earlier. He specifically mentioned a soft landing. Bank of America chief economist Michael, I'm not sure if it's Gapin or Gapin, but uh, he recently commented, um, and, and what he said typifies the mainstream thinking. He said, quote, in our view, rather than lean against a mild recession, the Fed would view it as an acceptable price for bringing inflation back down to the target. Notice he said mild. That's the assumption. In fact, in fact, I think it's always been the mainstream assumption that we're going to have a little downturn, and that's actually going to be good because it's going to help get inflation, price inflation, back down to that 2% level. So they're thinking, recession, good news. It's going to help with this inflation fight, but the recession won't be that bad. You know, you might, you might have a little bit of suffering out there, some job losses, but all acceptable in the big scheme of things, right? The problem is, I see no reason to believe that the coming recession is going to be short or shallow, certainly not mild. I mean, if a bust is proportionate to a boom, we're in for one hell of a bust, right? The Federal Reserve and the U.S. government pumped trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy during the pandemic. This was on top of the trillions of dollars it pumped into the economy after the 2008 financial crisis. It held interest rates artificially low for well over a decade. 
This created all kinds of malinvestments and bubbles in the economy. As Peter Schiff put it, the Fed has screwed up everything that is a function of interest rates. Now here we are today. Over the last year, the Fed has pushed interest rates to the highest level since before the 2008 financial crisis. While it still hasn't gotten price inflation anywhere near the 2% target, remember we're, we're at 5 basically, there is no way that this isn't going to break things in the economy that depend on a low interest rate environment. I mean, we've already seen cracks in the system with the ongoing financial crisis. I don't think we've seen the last of that mess. The Fed has managed to paper it over with its bailout, but it's only a matter of time before something else breaks. I've said this over and over again. This economy is dependent on easy money. When you take away the easy money, the economy starts to get shaky and fall apart. So, yeah, right now, everything basically seems fine. Sure, we're seeing some contraction in the economic data, some of it, but the labor market is still strong, based on the cooked government data, and consumers are still spending. They're spending themselves into record levels of debt. We'll get to that in a second. So, until there is a crisis, nobody is going to believe that there's going to be a crisis. And as long as things seem fine, well, it's easy to say, hell yeah, we're committed to this course of action. Talk to me when things get unfine. We've already seen what happens, right? The Fed rushes in to the rescue. They rescued the banks with a massive bailout. Now, they managed to finagle their way into doing this without overtly ruining their inflation fight. You know, they're, they're at least able to keep up the pretense, but we know they're going to come to the rescue. They didn't let those banks just fail and the depositors lose their money. Oh, no, 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 no. Can't do that. We have to maintain, maintain stability. That is really the Fed's bottom line. And I think they're always going to be willing to sacrifice inflation or sacrifice the inflation fight. They're going to allow inflation in order to prop up the bubble economy. And I've said this before too, but I'll say it again. It's important to remember that the 2008 financial crisis happened over a year after the Fed stopped raising interest rates. In fact, it was already cutting interest rates when the Great Recession really kicked off. There's always a lag between changes in policy and the impacts of those changes. And I think a lot of times we forget that. We live in this, you know, 24-hour news cycle. We live in the microwave society. We expect everything to happen now. So when the Fed raises interest rates, we think, oh, well, the economy should crash now, right, if that's what's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, people says, well, see, it wasn't really a problem. Well, no, it takes a while. We saw that going into 2008. And again, I think you have to look at the fundamentals. The fundamentals are the economy depends on easy money, and they've taken the easy money away. So, this brings us back to that operative question. What will the Fed policymakers do when the poo actually hits the fan? Do they, A, have the fortitude to follow through on their tough talk, or B, will they fold like an old card table? I'm going to go with B. Until they prove otherwise, there's no reason to think that they won't. In the immortal words of Pretty Woman, that's the fork they know. And that's why I bought some gold this week because prices dipped below $2,000, and I thought, well, this is an excellent buying opportunity. So, 
Now that I've used up most of the show time, let's get to those two topics that I talked about at the top of the show that nobody cares about. This is where everybody just shuts off the podcast, right? Um, but you see what I did. I made it last, so at least you listened to a big chunk of the podcast before you turned it off. And I assume that some people are at least going to be interested to hear what I have to say about it. So the first topic is the national debt and the budget deficits. I'm old, so I remember when people actually worried about that. You know, it was a huge issue in the 1990s. In fact, debt worries were a big part of that whole contract with America thing that swept Republicans into control of Congress when Bill Clinton was president. And of course, the whole issue of debt and spending was a big issue during the Tea Party years. Now you hardly hear anybody talking about it except some contrarians in the media and uh, maybe some folks like uh, Thomas Massey or Rand Paul. Um, but, you know, Democrats certainly don't care about the debt or borrowing and spending. And Republicans hardly even really talk about it. I mean, I mean, I guess they are kind of talking about it and they're using it as a political tool now in this debt ceiling fight. But, you know, you and I both know the GOP isn't really serious about cutting spending. If you doubt me, go suggest to your favorite Republican that they should cut military spending. Or, I mean, even suggest dealing with Social Security and Medicare. You know, they're, they're going to tell you, oh, no, 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 that's off the table because it's, it's the third rail of politics, right? Nobody wants to touch it. And, you know, just think back to a couple of years ago, the Trumpers didn't bat an eye when his administration ran Obama-like deficits during the so-called greatest economy ever. You know, he was close to a trillion dollar deficits back then. Nobody cared. Nobody blinked an eye. Republicans weren't trying to cut spending. So now, the debt is over $31 trillion. And as soon as this debt ceiling fight is over and they raise the debt ceiling, which is going to happen, then the debt will quickly climb over $32 trillion and higher as the Treasury starts selling bonds to make up for the borrowing that it couldn't do over the last several months because they were up against the borrowing limit. In fact, you should be a lot more worried about that than the fake threat of a default. They're not going to default. This is all a dog and pony show. I saw an article today, how this is different from 2011, the politics. Are, no, they are not going to allow it to default. They're going to come to some kind of agreement, and they're going to raise the debt ceiling. That's when they start borrowing again, and it's going to flood the market with treasury uh, bonds. That's going to pressure bond prices downward, and it's going to push interest rates higher. That's bad news. When this debt ceiling fight is over, look for some extreme turbulence, if not a downright crash in the bond market. So, looking at the deficit, you know, the U.S. government actually ran a surplus in April, um, which I guess you could say is good news. Um, but it generally does run a surplus during the tax return month of April. But federal tax revenues actually collapsed year on year. And the fiscal 2023 deficit is still close to $1 trillion right now, despite this, uh, this small April windfall. So, yeah, a surplus sounds like great news, but digging into the data reveals that the federal revenues are falling even as spending continues unabated. I'm going to link to an article in the show notes page that breaks down the spending and the revenues and um, gets into some of the other nuances of the budget deficit. But nah, who cares, right? Well, you should, because the borrowing and spending is one of the key reasons the Fed can't win the inflation fight, and we're going to get more inflation no matter what the Fed says. First off, 
there is the interest issue. Interest payments on the outstanding debt in the first seven months of fiscal 2023 totaled $460.3 billion. So approaching half a trillion dollars. That was a 31% increase over the same period last year. And last year, there was a huge jump in the um, cost of financing the debt. But that's nothing compared to where the trajectory is leading us. Interest expenses could quickly climb into the top three federal expenses if interest rates stay at this elevated level. Uh, the, the federal government can't do that. It cannot borrow money in a high interest rate environment. Then there's the fact that the U.S. government ultimately needs the Fed to monetize that debt in order for the borrowing and spending to continue. If they're going to keep raising the debt ceiling, if they're not going to do anything to control spending, then they're going to have to keep having the central bank monetize the debt. I already mentioned that when government starts borrowing again, it's going to flood the market with treasuries pushing up interest rates even higher. That's the fundamental problem. The government needs the Fed to put its big fat thumb on the bond market to create artificial demand for treasury bonds and to hold interest rates artificially lower than they otherwise would be. How does it do that? By buying bonds with money created out of thin air. That's inflation. So if you care about inflation, you should care about the national debt and the runaway government spending. Even the Fed has admitted that it can't slay price inflation with monetary policy alone. The government needs to quit spending so much money. Now, people are always like, oh, Mike, who cares? People have been worrying about the debt forever. You know, they'll go back to the 90s. Nothing's happened. Well, in the first place, something has happened. You're paying more for everything today because of all of the government spending supported by Fed money creation that we got during the pandemic. That's why we're having price inflation today. Of course, that was piled on top of all of the inflation created in uh, after 2008. So there's kind of a compounding effect. But something has happened, right? We're living it right now with hot price inflation. And if we look at the bigger picture, what can't continue doesn't. So if you look at this 31, 32, $33 trillion national debt, and you look at the ever-increasing spending, and you look at falling revenues, and you think, you know, that's really not sustainable. Oh, and, and the increasing interest rates. If you think that's not sustainable, well, it probably isn't. And if it isn't, then it's not going to be sustained, right? What can't continue doesn't continue. So quickly before I end the show, I know I'm starting to run long here, but I want to talk about household debt. And really, this is the same fundamental problem. It's just kind of in a different form, right? The Fed can't keep pushing interest rates higher when people are depending on debt to make ends meet. And that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, also the rising level of household debt undercuts this narrative that the economy is rolling right along because, oh, people are spending money. Yeah, sure, they're spending money because they have to. Prices keep going up. Retail sales were up 0.4% in April. I saw a lot of articles about how, oh, this is good news. Americans are spending again. You know, we saw retail sales slip a little bit over the last couple of months. So, so now, good news, they're spending. But prices rose 0.4% in April. So when you actually correct retail sales for inflation, there really wasn't a jump in retail sales. People aren't buying more stuff. They're paying more for what they're already buying, and they're paying for it with debt. 
Total household debt eclipsed $17 trillion for the first time ever in the first quarter of this year. After charting the biggest rise in 20 years during the fourth quarter, which preceded the third quarter, which was the biggest rise since like 2007, household debt climbed again in Q1. It rose by $148 billion. Again, I'm going to link to an article in the show notes that breaks down the household debt, but I'll give you a couple of key takeaways that kind of give you an indication of what's going on in the economy. One, it appears that people are tapping into home equity in order to make ends meet as prices continue to rise. This is part of uh, the rising mortgage debt that's out there. So balances on home equity lines of credit increased by $3 billion during the first quarter. This was the fourth consecutive quarterly increase in uh, these refis after nearly 13 years of declines. So people weren't tapping into their houses to get equity to you know spend money. That was declining. Now it's going up. Number two, credit card balances typically decline in the first quarter of each year as consumers pay down holiday debt. Not this year. Credit card balances were actually flat. So they stayed at $986 billion in Q1, which was the number in uh, Q4. So it bucked the trend. It was the first time in 20 years that we didn't see a decline in credit card balances during the first quarter of the year. So despite the shrugs and the yawns that I get about household debt and federal debt, it really does matter. Just because people don't read the articles doesn't mean it doesn't matter. It matters. That's why I keep talking about it and why I'm going to continue to keep talking about it. Debt is one of the engines that's pulling the inflation freight train. So if inflation matters to you, household debt matters to you. The national debt matters to you. Government spending matters to you. Because you're not going to get rid of the inflation until these things are dealt with. If this debt issue isn't reined in, there is no way price inflation is going to go away. So you can judge for yourself how likely you think that is and plan accordingly. And as you plan, you might want to talk to a shift gold precious metal specialist with the price of gold down and silver is down as well. I think this is a good time to buy. It's a buying opportunity if you're so inclined. If you've been thinking about maybe adding gold to your investment portfolio, or maybe increasing your position, you've got a ready-made opportunity to do that now while gold has actually sunk down close to 1950 an ounce. So talk to a precious metal specialist at Shift Gold today. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or you can go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and you can talk to a precious a metal specialist in chat right there online. And, you know, they'll ask you questions, they'll ask about your goals, uh, and they'll help you figure out if and how gold and silver might be a valuable part of your investment portfolio. These guys are fantastic. They're knowledgeable. They're good guys. Talk to them today. You'll be glad you did. And with that, it's a gold wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of these stories and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com news. 
If you haven't done it already, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more, the Ship Gold YouTube channel. Links to all of this are on the show notes page, along with links to all of our social media channels. You can email me, mmaharry, M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And of course, I will talk to you again next Friday. Toodle-oo.